Hey, go ahead and uh, grab a seat. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Caleb. If we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you. As, as Adam said before, uh, we've got a pastor's lunch right after this. I'd love you to be my guest at that and be able to share a little bit more with you, just the heart of our church and really what we desire for you to experience here. So if you're new, whether you RSVP, didn't RSVP, we'd love to uh, have you in the back and uh, it'll be 20, 30 minutes. would love to have you there as, um, as my guest. So we're in a series. If you are joining us maybe for the first time or first couple times, we're looking at the, the book in the Bible, the letter that Paul wrote to a pastor named Timothy. And we're exploring what does it look like for us to have a stronger life, a stronger faith. There's areas in all of our life that we say, man, I, I want this to get better than it is now. I want my relationships to get better. I want my emotional life to get better. I want my relationship with God to get better. Whatever it might be, there's all sorts of areas is that we say, I want to experience this to be stronger. I want to experience strength in this part of my life. So this is our kind of fifth sermon in this series, and we've looked at all sorts of things. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we will uh, jump into today's word. Father, I, I thank you that you desire good for us, and that every person in this room you want good for. And I pray that even now you would help us to hear from you, that you would open our hearts and our minds to, to learn, to grow, to see what you want us to see wherever we are at in this room, whether we are Christians or not Christians or confused or unsure what we believe. I, I pray that you would speak and allow our time to be helpful. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So as we talk about what it looks like to experience a life that is stronger in all sorts of ways, one of the things that is true, and if you're a Christian, you know this, is, is it can be hard to be a Christian. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, we have it so, so hard in America. Obviously, there's other places in the world where it's really hard to be a Christian, but, but it can be hard to be a Christian. It can be hard because people can think you're weird and, and the beliefs that you have, people can think are just kind of outdated or old-fashioned or maybe they think you're a jerk or judgmental or hypocritical or, or all sorts of different things. It, it can be hard because of some of the things that people believe about you, about Christians. And you can see that in the news or on media or TV shows that kind of make fun of stuff or, or it's probably just even in your own life with friends and maybe family and coworkers. Uh, it, it can be hard to be a Christian because of other people and kind of just the world we live in. And you might face that kind of day to day of like, man, here we go again. I'm going to get another Christian joke. I'm going to get another, oh, you believe that joke. Or you might feel that on a regular basis. It can be hard to be a Christian even just because of the desires that we have. We, we live in a world that doesn't say, man, we worship Jesus. That's not the world that we, that we live in. And so there's all sorts of desires that we have that, that are kind of conflicted. There's parts where the Bible might say this and God might say this and our faith might say this. And yet there's all sorts of desires desires or temptations around us in the world that we live in. And we go, man, it can be really hard to just live life as a Christian in this world. Sometimes it's hard to be Christian because you, you know certain things that we're called to and, and within, within our relationships. And it's kind of hard to uh, help other people that you're in friendship or relationship with. So you might have friends that you say, man, you're going down a, a bad path and you don't know, you want to help them, you want to love them, but you don't want to be a, a jerk. You don't want to have awkward conversations. Uh, maybe that's true with your kids, uh, especially for those of you that are older and, and have kind of older kids and, and you want good for your kids, but you don't want to be like that. Oh, you're just kind of being a jerk parent mom or jerk parent dad or whatever it is, or your friends, your family. It, it's hard. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time that say, man, it's hard to be a Christian. 
whether because of desires I have or because of the perceptions that there are or because of awkward conversations that I have to have. It can be really hard to be a Christian. And, and if you're a Christian, you, you value faith. You value the Bible. You, you value the, the gospel of Jesus. You value all that. You, obviously, if you're a Christian, you say, yeah, I'm, I'm bought in. This is, this is what I believe. But it's, it's really challenging. It can be really difficult. We feel our inability. We feel our ignorance. We feel our temptation towards things. And we feel the, the social cost of things. We feel that in a, in a very real way. So often what happens is this. We, we might just be passive and go, hey, you know what? Man, I don't, I don't even want to deal with it. So I'm going to kind of just chill. Like there, it, it might be hard. And, and the way I'm going to handle that is just, I'm just going to kind of let it be what it's going to be. Or maybe you find that it's difficult and, and so you, you feel just kind of anger. You, you look at the world around you and you're like, man, it's so hard to be a Christian. I hate this world. And you talk like that. And that's kind of what happens. That's, that's the angry voice. Uh, <laughs> or, <laughs> or the constipated voice. It's one or the other. But, or, or, maybe, or maybe you feel like you got to fit in, right? The world's kind of hard and it's like, man, this is, this is difficult to be a Christian. And go, okay, you know what? I don't really want to feel the weight of that social cost. I don't really want to have to pay the price. I don't really want to have to continually battle my desires. And so we just compromise and, and choose to, to fit in. Or another posture that some people have, and maybe you find yourself here, is we get really exclusive. So it's, man, the world is kind of really difficult to be a Christian, it, there's temptations and there's cost and there's perceptions. So what I need to do is make my world smaller. And if I'm with people that think like me and if I'm with people that believe like me and if I'm with people that see everything the same way I see it, that's going to be really safe. And so our world starts to shrink and our circle starts to shrink smaller and smaller. So there's all sorts of different approaches and responses that we can have to this, but it is hard to be a Christian. You might feel this at work. You might feel it with your friends. You might just feel the internal battles that, that you have in yourself. And what we've been looking at the last chapter, Paul has said that it is hard to be a Christian. And he talks about all sorts of different things that there are. There's different things in our day and the same things in our day. He talks about there's false teachers. So there's people that are saying, look, the Bible says this, but that's not really what it says, which makes it difficult to actually live out what it does say. If people are saying, hey, it doesn't say that. That happens all the time in our, our day as well. Uh, he says it's hard to be a Christian. He says there's people that have shipwrecked their faith, that they, they once had faith and, and it's gone south. And he says there's people that don't have a good conscience and there's people that have, uh, they don't actually love people. And, there's, and, and he talks about faith being a fight. He tells Timothy to fight the good fight of the faith. He's saying, man, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of stuff that makes it difficult. A lot of things that put pressure on us. But he says, there is a way that we can thrive. There is a way that even though the world around us, the desires inside of us, the temptations without, within, the social costs, the awkward conversations, within all of that, he says, there is a way that your faith can still thrive. There is a way that you can maintain a strong faith, an integrated faith in all of your life without either getting really exclusive or just fitting in or just not caring anymore. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we handle the difficulty of, of faith? How do, we, how do we maintain a strong, integrated faith in, in all parts of our life without compromise, without becoming jaded? How do we do that? And so we're going to look at what Paul says in this passage and then begin to explore how we can 
maintain a strong, integrated faith. Here, here's what he says at the beginning of chapter two. First of all, then, based on all the different things that we've looked at over the coming weeks, the things I just kind of highlighted. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, that's praying for other people, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a teacher of the Gentiles and faith and truth. So we start with this question, which is, what do we do to maintain a strong faith when, when things are difficult, when there's social pressure, when there's temptation, when there's difficulty in keeping faith strong in the midst of everything happening? What do we do? What do we do to maintain a strong faith? And, and here's what Paul says, the very, the very beginning, the very first thing he says, first of all, if you want to do this, faith is hard, it's a fight. If you want to maintain it, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made, which is to say, to pray. All those are just different forms of prayer. Paul says, look, here's the very first thing that has to happen. I know faith is hard. I know that you find it difficult at work. I know that your families maybe have questions and they look at some of the decisions that you're making and think it's really odd and, and they're not sure why you would do this. They're not sure why you would take that job. They're not sure why you would be with that person. They're not sure why you wouldn't be with that person. They're not sure why you would make financial cost sacrifices. They're not, they don't get it. He says, I know it's hard. I know you, there's teachings out there that are difficult that you're trying to wade through, that you're trying to process through. And I know it's hard. Here's the very first thing. Pray. Now, that can sound like the most basic Christian answer that there is, right? So I know that anytime sort of prayer is thrown up as the answer to something, it can be really like, okay, yes, okay, pray, pray, okay. Now give me something, give me something meaty, give me something better than pray, because you know, I've graduated past prayer. I don't know if anyone said that out loud, but this is your opportunity to do it. I know it can feel hard. I honestly I, I wrestle with I wrestle with prayer a lot. Because if you've been a Christian for a long time, there's things that you've prayed for, right? If you've been a Christian for a long time, you've gone through some pain. You've gone through some stuff that's really hard in your life. And you said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray. And you know what happened? Nothing. And there's some things in your life that have been difficult. There's some things in your life that you have said, God, I want you to change this. And nothing happened. And there's some people that you've loved. There's some people that you've cared about and you've prayed and said, God, please, and nothing changed. So I know that when we talk about prayer, it can sometimes be like, okay, yeah, 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 that's a really Christian-y sounding answer, but does that really do anything? Does it really change anything? But all I can say is, look, here's what Paul says. Faith is a fight. It's hard. There's all sorts of external pressure, internal pressure. And he says, the very first thing I wanna tell you in what to do is to pray. The very first thing I want to give to you to do is to pray because here's what this means. Here's what happens when we pray. We start, whatever the situation is, we start with engaging God. We say, look, this is happening. This is difficult. This is hard. This is challenging. I've got temptations. I've got desires. I'm hearing all sorts of stuff. I don't know what to do with this. I need wisdom. It's a fight. And he says, you need to engage God. That's what prayer does. 
Prayer says we first, before anything happens, need to engage with God, which I love that he says that because you know what that means about God? God cares. If he says, here's the very first thing, when, when being a Christian is hard, when faith is challenging, when it feels like a fight, when there's teaching or persecution or social cost, or you see people around you that are putting faith this way, and you know it's that whatever it is, he says, listen, here's what this means. God sees it. God cares about it. God's involved in it. Like the situations that you have going on in your life where you say it's hard to be a Christian, it's hard to have these conversations, it's hard to maintain. Paul says God sees it. God cares about it. He sees the emotions. He sees the difficulty. He wants to hear from you. He's involved. He's not absent. So the very first thing that Paul tells to us is to pray, which means we engage with God. It means whatever's happening, we start with God, which means God cares and he's present and he's involved in it. And then, and then Paul says this, he doesn't just say pray. He says to pray for everyone, to pray for everyone. Now that's a, a challenging thing. Maybe we usually might have kind of our, our circle of people that we pray for. Maybe you pray for your kids. Uh, maybe you pray for your spouse. Maybe you pray for, um, you know, your various relatives that you have people that are sick and people that are going through different things, but to say, man, pray for everyone. That's kind of a, unless you just say, God, I pray for everyone. Check, done. Like, unless you do that, that's, that's kind of hard, you know, to say, man, I'm going to think about, and, and what he's saying with pray for everyone doesn't mean literally you need to go through all 7 billion people, you know, dust off the phone book and say, here we go, let's do it. But it's to say that we pray for all kinds of people, that we expand the circle that we're normally thinking about. And, and here's why he, he says that, because usually, usually the difficulty of faith is brought about by people, right? It's awkward conversations you have to have with a person. It's, it's somebody that's persecuting you or making fun of you. It's somebody's opinion that you care about. It's someone that is kind of making uh, life difficult because of your faith. It's someone that's tempting you towards something, the, the wrong crowd or whatever it is. I know a lot of people move, you know, a lot, many people aren't from Denver and they move here to get away from things. And it maybe it's because it was people back home that were making it hard for you to have a strong integrated faith. So usually it's someone or somebody or some people that makes faith difficult. And here's what he says to do, to pray, to pray for everyone, to pray for them in the middle of a fight, what he calls faith, with, excuse me, what he calls faith, fight, the good fight of the faith. When there's false teachers, when there's people that are shipwrecking their faith, when there's people that are, he, he says, look, I want you to pray. I want you to pray for everyone. I want you to pray for them. Because think about what happens when you pray. You're engaging God when you pray. And then when you start to pray for a person, you start to pray for a relationship, you're bringing God into the middle of that relational equation. You're inserting a third person into the equation. And don't things change if another person is brought into it? Like if you and your spouse, for those of you that are married or even if you're dating, engaged, whatever, like if you're arguing, if you're arguing and you're like, man, I, every single, well, you always do this, you and then someone walks in, you say, hey. <laughs> like it changes when a third person, you're talking to your kid. You say, I've told you how much I love you. Come here. You know, give them a big hug, kind of tight, and say, I love you. Shut up. You know, 
Maybe your parents did that to you. Be on your best behavior, right? It changes when a third person is put into the equation, right? I mean, always relationships, if it's this person, if, if you've got someone at work that's causing hardship for you because you're a Christian, if you've got someone that is kind of the old crowd or the people that you're trying to kind of change from, but if you drop another person into that equation, it changes things. That always happens in, in all the things in our life. And, and here's what Paul is saying. I want you, as faith is hard for you, as being a Christian is hard for you, I want you to pray and I want you to pray for everyone. Because you know what that does? It drops God into the middle of the relationship. It drops God into the equation. And things can't stay the same, even just at our basic human level, when another person is brought into the equation. He's saying, what happens if you bring God into the middle of the relationship? I mean, think about that for you. I mean, who is the person that maybe it's difficult for you to really live a strong, integrated faith with? Who's the person that for you, it's hard to maintain the beliefs and the values and the priorities and the, the stuff that you say, man, this is what it means to be for me to be a Christian, but it's hard. Who's the person that's hard for? Is it at work? Is it with your family? He says, what happens if God drops into the middle of that relationship. Think about the situation, the person. This is why he says pray for everyone because it begins to change our perspective. He starts with saying, I want you to pray because that engages God. He says, I want you to pray for everyone because that engages God in the middle of the relationship, which changes the dynamics. And then this is interesting as we, we really don't do this, or maybe some of you do, I, I don't, but then he says this, I want you to do it for everyone and then comma. So especially this group for kings and all those who are in authority. Now, when's the last time you prayed for a king? Now it's a little different for us, right? But when's the last time you, you started to think and go, I'm going to pray for the kings, the leaders, all those in authority. I mean, again, you know what this is doing? It's broadening the circle of care. It's broadening the circle of our concern. Like being a Christian's hard and faith is hard and to maintain a strong integrated faith is hard. And usually part of what we do is we really shrink our world to our friends and our family. And he says, you know what? Part, part of what you need to do is begin to broaden your circle all the way up, all the way up to the leaders, all the way up to the kings, all the way up to the, to the people that are in charge. And it's easy not to care about that. I can think part of why he brings this out is because it's really like, you might have different responses to this when you think about the leaders in our city or in our state or in our country. If you think about the leaders, you might just not care, right? That's usually where I find myself. Just like, I don't care, whatever. Leader's gonna leader. You know, that's just what's gonna happen. And you know, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what's happening. They're gonna do what they're gonna do. And that's just kind of the way of the world. Or, but maybe for some, so some of you maybe don't care. Some of you maybe are like, pretty passionate about some of that stuff, right? And I'm not saying either is right. And, and you, you maybe, man, you're fiery and you're a you know, Facebook warrior, Twitter warrior, whatever, and you're just like gung-ho about your, your political party, your side, your cause, your leader, your thing, your issue. And it's really easy to get fired up about some of that stuff. Maybe if you think about even not so much a political thing, if you just think about other authority like teachers, for some of you that are students, Man, they're so unfair. They're so, or you think about your boss at work. Like usually the authority figure, the leader figure, whether it's on a political, like Kings, he says, or all those in authority, wherever it is, usually it starts to become outside of our circle of care. 
We'd more just kind of don't care or get angry and upset. I mean, Christians all the time are accused of, and rightfully so in many cases, accused of being very political and, you know, angry about various political things. And Paul says this, what, what, what would happen if we prayed? What if, what if our posture wasn't passivity and it wasn't anger or making an issue of something, but instead we actually said, you know what, I'm going to bring God into the middle of the relationship I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring God into the, I'm going to bring that person, the authority, my boss, my teacher, the political leaders into my circle of care. Don't you think that would change things? Look, I, I told you I'm bad at this. I don't, I, I mean, I don't, it's very rare that I pray for authority or political leaders or things. It's very rare that I do that to my, to my fault. I'm not saying that's okay. I, it's very rare, but I was reading this this week. Right? So I'm convicted and we've been getting all these emails. Our kids are in Denver public school system. Um, don't judge me, uh, but if you, uh, you're Christians, so you might judge me on that. But, um, uh, so they, uh, <clears throat> I could feel a little bit of judgment that hit me. Um, uh, <laughs> they, I was homeschooled till I was 12. So, you know, I've got some street cred for those of you that just judged me, but, um, <clears throat> anyways, um, our t- the teachers in Denver public schools are about to go to strike on Monday. Okay, so we've been getting emails every single, every single day, literally, from the superintendent. Superintendent saying, hey, here's what's going on, here's what's going on. And every single one of those emails I look at, I, don't need, I read the subject line, delete, delete, who cares, don't care, moving on, I've got other things to do. Um, my wife's like, did you see the email from the, yeah, I saw it, and I swiped, and it's gone. You know, that's, that's usually my posture towards that kind of stuff. I don't care, whatever. Uh, and I'm reading this verse, though, and I'm like, man, what, maybe I need to stop. Like, this is an authority that I'm getting these emails from the, the superintendent. Like, this is a leader of a huge part of our city, right? Like, what if I pray? So I, start, I, so I, I pray for her. I pray for her. And I sent her an email. Because I'm just like, what the heck? Why not? So I sent her an email. And I said, I am so ashamed of you. No, I'm just kidding. I said, I, uh, I said, I said I, hey, I just want you to know, I'm sure this is super, like, I'm sure this is super hard. Like, I don't know all the facts. I mean, what do I know? This is the first email I've actually read. I don't know all this stuff. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't know anything, you know? I was homeschooled till I was 12, you know? I was, it's like, I, I don't know what's going on, but, but I bet this, I bet it's a really hard position that you're in. And I bet that a lot of people are accusing you things that aren't in your heart. I bet you're getting slandered about things that aren't there. I bet you're really trying. And I'm just gonna, I, would, I even put the verse on there. I was like, I'm just praying that God would give you wisdom and I'm just praying that you'd be able to kind of have a resilience and a strength to, to move forward, do the right thing that you, and, and you know what happened as I started to pray for her? Um, she still hasn't emailed me back, just so you know. She was probably, delete, you know, so whatever. Just goes around, comes around. But uh, what happened is I began to care. I began to care. And all the emails that came from that, I started to actually read and care about. I began to feel empathy. I was talking to somebody, um, later that week that, uh, that was saying that their kids are also in Denver public school. And they're like, yeah. And they were, you know, and I'm not like anti-teacher, just FYI, but they were like, they were very pro the teacher's cause. And they said, um, yeah, well the other side talking about the superintendent in the district, they just don't really care. And, blah, blah. and I was like, well, I bet it's just a real, like my empathy changed to be like, well, you know, I bet it's a really hard position. I even started to feel like, man, what could I do about this? Like, what if we got our whole church and all the churches in the city to volunteer, be subs, and then, and then you know, the district would have more money. And, and, like, and then I went to sleep and didn't care about that anymore. But, I, but that, that idea came into my mind for a second, you know. 
So like stuff changed as I just began to pray. And I'm showing that as an illustration just because I don't ever do, like this is one example of hardly any that I actually do this, but so much changed even just a week of actually going, okay, what, like it's hard in a lot of ways to be a Christian. It's hard to live out faith. It's hard. And Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring God, first of all, into the situation. That's prayer. Here's how you can begin to maintain a strong faith. Pray. That brings God into it. And then I want you to pray for all the people because what happens if God gets entered into the relationship? What happens if God gets entered into the relationship? It changes stuff. And then he says, I want you to pray even especially for the authorities, for the leaders in your life. Partially because those might be the very people in your life that are causing some of the difficulty of being a Christian. What happens if we begin to pray? We're no longer passive. We're no longer angry. In a, in a sinful way, but we begin to actually care. And he, he even spells it out even further why we should pray for the authorities and the kings. He says, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And that's not saying just so you can have some peace and quiet, like, hey, pray for everybody so everything can just be fine. It's saying, and Paul says this in other parts of, of the Bible also, it's saying that, that the, the life of faith would actually be able to flourish. Like pray for the leaders, pray for the authorities, pray, pray for them. That way we can be Christians and, and be able to exercise that, be able to have a faith community that is able to live out all of our faith so that the gospel is actually able to move forward. So that people are actually able to come to know him. So that the effect of the, the community of faith is actually able to touch and change people's lives. So he says, here's what I want you to do. Here, here's where it starts. You think, you think being a Christian's hard? He says, I, I know. You think, you think it's difficult? How do you have a strong, integrated faith? How can you maintain that? Bring God into it through prayer. That's where it starts. The second thing is this. What, what helps us to actually pray like this? Because that can be kind of a hard way to pray in the sense of if you've got people in your life that are actually causing friction, it can be hard to say, okay, I'm going to pray for them or to actually care deeply enough to say, man, I'm going to pray and widen my circle of care. That can be a hard kind of prayer to have where we really do care about the one that's causing pain for us. And so we pray for them or we really do care about the leaders that aren't on our side or we really, it's hard to, to pray like that. So here's what he says of how we can begin to, to pray like this. Hey, let, me, let me just ask you this. When, when, when faith is hard for you, when faith is hard, when you look at your life and go, this part right now is hard to be a Christian. It's hard to have that awkward conversation. It's hard to maintain the convictions that I know are right. It's hard to withstand the social cost of things. When, when you look at the areas, the people, the situations in your life that are hard, what do you normally feel? You might feel hurt. That might be the biggest feeling of just, man, they're, they're, they're making it so hard for me. Man, don't they know I love them? Don't, I, don't they know I care for them? Man, doesn't my family know that I'm just trying to do what's right? Like, you might feel hurt. You might feel embarrassed. You might feel self-righteous. Just like those stupid people. They don't, why don't they freaking wake up and smell the Jesus, you know? And it's like, you might feel self-righteous. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever said that, but I don't, you might feel self-righteous and just like, you know, here's what's wrong with the world. It's these people. It's those people. Like you might feel that self-righteous kind of feeling. You might feel hopeless, right? You just kind of look around and go, man, this is just, our world sucks and it's always going to be hard. And like, there's all sorts of different ways that we can feel. God knows it's hard to maintain a difficult 
God knows it's hard to maintain an integrated, strong faith. And you know what he says? He doesn't just say, go out and pray. I love what, what Paul does. He tells us to pray, but then he gives us things that help us pray, which is to look at God, to look at who God is, to look at what God wants, and to look at what God does. So he gives us kind of all those categories. Look, it starts with this. He says, this is good, that, that prayer for all people and for the authorities and bringing God. He says, this is good because it, it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He says, look, if you're going to be able to pray like this, you need some help. If you're going to be able to pray instead of just get upset or just fit in or just not care, if you're going to be able to pray and bring God into stuff, you got to first see what it is that God wants. You see, when God looks at people, when God looks at things, when God looks at the people in your life that are causing difficulty for you, when God looks at the people that you know you need to have an awkward conversation, when God looks at people, you know what? God actually feels stuff. God's not emotionless. God's not just kind of, ah, uh, you know, whatever. God's not like me, just kind of swiping and moving, oh, whatever, delete. God, God cares. God looks at people and actually desires things. There's things on his heart. It said, this pleases, look, it's, it's, it's painting a very emotional picture of God. This pleases him. God, it pleases God when you pray for people. Why? Because God wants all people to be saved, Paul says. It says God looks at people and on God's heart is, I want good for that person. On God's heart is, I want them to move away from sin and the slavery of sin or, and the reality of not knowing me the reality of life apart from me. God looks at them and says, I want something for them. I want them to be in my family. I want them to be saved. Now, it says God wants all people to be saved. Just as a side note, that doesn't mean that all people are saved. And people can choose to run away from God. People can walk away from God, but it does say God wants that. That's what's in God's heart. That's what God desires. He looks at people and says, I want you to be saved. He wants to free people with the truth. Paul says he desires all people to be saved and he desires them to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know what that means? It means there's, way that we, there's ways that we live our lives, that we think are right, that we think are good. There's ways that we live our life, but we're actually living in falsehood. We're actually living a lie. And, and Paul says God wants to make us see the truth. He wants to help bring us to a knowledge of the truth. There's things that we think wrongly about God, about life, about obedience, about sin, about right, about wrong, about guilt, about shame, about how we can gain access to God, about all sorts of things and in all sorts of things in our lives. Things where we believe, man, I've got to prove myself or I've got to fight or I've got to control things or I've, all sorts of stuff. Paul says, God wants to take people and move them to the truth. Because truth is always love. To live in the truth is the most loving thing. And so here's what this means. Here's what it means. It's easy. It's easy to be bothered by people that are causing difficulty for your faith. It's easy to be bitter towards people that are causing difficulty for your faith. It's easy to, to just not care. Or look, here's another one. It's easy to just say, I just need to make, I just need to please people. That's kind of more the compromise or, or fit in. It's easy to do any of that. And Paul says, if you're going to pray, 
If you're going to pray the way that God wants you to, to actually bring God into the situation, you have to first see what God wants. And you know what God wants? He wants to bring people to truth. And he wants to save people. Let me, let me say this too. If you're not a Christian, this is God speaking to you even today, right now. God says, God says, I want to save you. God says, God's saying it to you right now through his word. He's saying, I want to save you. I want you to come to know truth. And he doesn't say that in a mean way. He doesn't say, and I, I want to save you, you dummy. You know, he's saying, I love you. I want you to know truth. I want you to know the beauty of who I am. I want to free you from where you've been to where you can be. This is what we have to start with. What happens if we look at people like this? What happens if, especially the people in your life that are causing the difficulty? If you, look, I, I try to do this. I try to do this. I'm not saying I do this perfect. I try. I try to look at people and just say, okay, God wants, like if I'm angry at somebody or I'm frustrated, just go, God wants to save them. God wants to save this person. Like what would happen if you said that to somebody? If you said, not, don't say it out loud. God wants to save you because if you're mad at them, then they're going to be like, I hate you, you know? That's sort of like, you know, bless their heart. Is if God wants to save you. God wants to save you, you know? Don't, that, don't do it like that. But, but if, you, if you just felt like the person or the people or the situations or the political leaders even, and you said, God wants to save them, doesn't that begin to change your heart? If you begin to look at the situations versus the opposition or the people you're just trying to make happy and instead said, no, actually, God wants more than their happiness and God cares more than my anger, God wants to save. Doesn't that begin to change our hearts? So he says, first, we need to see what it is that God wants. And second, we need to see who God is. Look what he reminds us of. He says, there's one God and one mediator between God and humanity the man, Christ Jesus. There's one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. See, he says, here's what God wants. He wants to save people and he wants to bring them to the truth. And here's who God is. He's the one God, which means he's the God of all people. There's not some, you know, for these people, there's this God. And for these people, there's this God. There's one God and there's one mediator. There's one mediator between God and man. Now, here's what a mediator is. I don't know if you ever have been involved in kind of something that needed mediation, maybe at work. Uh, maybe you had some drama at work and someone had to come in and kind of mediate between you and a coworker or mediate between you and a boss. I've known other pastor friends that have had various situations come up where they hired kind of an outside mediating source to come in and kind of help two different parties resolve something, talk about something. I know people with relational difficulty right now where it's like, man, every single time they talk, it doesn't go anywhere. And it's not that they need counseling, although maybe that would help. They need a mediator to just come in to resolve and to help them come together. See, that's what a mediator does. A mediator enters into a situation where there's irreconcilable differences, where there's, where there's kind of hostility. And what the Bible says is that we are against God, that we are enemies to God that we are in our nature and in our actions, that we reject God, we ignore God, we dismiss God, we live our lives doing what we want to do. And that's created a breach between us and God. That's created a distance between us and God. 
The Bible says, Paul says, Jesus comes as the one mediator, the person that enters into the dispute. And in this dispute, God's not wrong. We are. But Jesus comes and says, I want to, and here's, here's who God is, and here's what he's reminding us that actually helps us to pray. Jesus comes in and says, you know what my heart is? It's to bring you back together. That's what a mediator does. They say, I want to make it all good again. I want to bring these two parties back together. I want to take people that are, uh, are hostile right now, that are enemies, that are not united, and I want to bring them together. I want to say, you can be one again. And on the cross, that's what Jesus does. He forgives us of our sins, so that's gone. He gives us his own record, his own perfection, his own righteousness. He gives that to us to make it so that things are good between us and God. Here's how that helps us to pray. What if you looked at people and you said, this is somebody, this is somebody that God wants to bring close to himself. You see, it's hard to be a Christian. I know that. But what if our perspective changes instead of just, I want to make people happy or I don't care or man, they're causing difficulty. And we say, yeah, but you know, this person right here, this is somebody that God wants to bring close to themselves. You know, this person that's causing friction, this person that's causing difficulty, this person that's kind of an awkward conversation, God wants to bring them close to himself. This is who Paul says that God is. What happens if you begin to look at people like that? This is someone Jesus wants to connect to God. And then final thing is he tells us what God does. It's, he says that he is this mediator, and here's what he did. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus gave himself as a ransom. Now, a ransom is a payment that's made. Right? If I don't, this is kind of an old movie now, but there's an old movie with Mel Gibson, and the most the only line in it, I think, is give me back my son. And he's got he's like wants his son back because these people kidnap his son and they hold him ransom. And ransom means you've got to pay us money to get what you want. That was true back then, too. If somebody was captured, if somebody was kidnapped, if someone was taken hostage and you wanted to get them back, you had to pay a ransom. You had to pay money. And the greater the value of the thing, the greater the ransom is going to be. Right. The greater, the greater the value, the greater that you think, the greater that you want the thing, the greater you desire the thing, the greater worth that you put on the thing, the more you're willing to pay. Right? So if you, if you, um, you know, if you have a, 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 I don't know, a gerbil and they get sick, you're probably going to say, goodbye, gerbil. But if you've got a dog that gets sick, you might value that a little bit more. And you're willing to pay a little bit more. I mean, I, I have a, a friend that the dog swallowed a rock and $5,000 to get the rock out. And that's obviously, they must love that dog. Because I would have said, so long, Fido. That would have been my thing, you know. But I, <laughs> and I don't have, that's why I don't have a dog, okay? So, but I have, a, I have kids. I've got a son and a daughter. If they swallowed a rock, I, I would say, okay, let's pump the stomach. Let's get the rock out. Let's, let's fix it. Because the, the more that you value, the more you desire the thing, the higher price you're willing to pay, the higher the cost you're willing to pay. That's a ransom. Now, here's what the Bible says about Jesus. Here's what he did that helps you to pray. You know what Jesus did? 
he gave his own life as a ransom. How much more can you give than that? He said, I, there's a payment that needs to be paid to fix this. There's a payment that needs to be paid to fix the broken relationship. And I'm willing to pay my life. You know what that means? The more you value the thing, the more you desire the thing, the more you're willing to pay. And Jesus didn't say, I, I'll look, I'll write a thousand dollar check. Jesus didn't say, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do a little bit. He said, I will give my life. You know what that means? It means he looks at you and says, that's how much I desire. That's how much I value. That's how much I want is I will pay the ultimate cost. I will pay the infinite cost of physical death and spiritual death, separation between my father. Because he said, I, I want to pay a ransom because that's how much you mean to me. That's how much I want you. See, if we begin to look at people like that, what happens? If you, if you look at the people in your life, the leaders, and you say, but you know what? That, that's frustrating. Man, this is hard. This is an awkward conversation to have. Man, this person's causing me a lot of pain. This person makes a lot of jokes. This person is, is really kind of, what if you said, yeah, but you know what? Jesus gave his life as a ransom for that person. I'm look, this isn't exactly what Paul's talking about, but I, I use this on my heart, even if I'm kind of feeling angry at my wife or we're in kind of a, a, de a debate, not debate, or like an argument or a conversation or something. And I even try to go, okay, Jesus, you died for her. You wanted her. What would happen if I changed my perspective and remember that? Or if my kids, if I'm getting frustrated with my kids, and I go, okay, you you were willing to give your life as a ransom for, it begins to change all the different relationships, especially the ones that we say, man, they're causing it difficult. For, they're, they're creating difficulty for me in being a Christian and maintaining a strong integrated faith. And instead of just saying, well, that's because they're not a Christian and they don't get it and they don't understand and they don't, they don't share my values. What if you said, yeah, but Jesus was willing to pay his life as a ransom for them. And God wants to save them. And Jesus says he's a mediator that wants to connect them back to God. That begins to change things. You can't be passive anymore and not care. You can't just be aggressive and, and, and upset at people or exclusive and, and shun people or, or just desire people to be pleased and happy and fit in with them because that's not what God wants either. He wants them to know the truth and to experience life with him. It begins to change us. Here's what Paul says helps us to pray like this, to pray in a way where our circle is expanded and, and we bring God into every situation. He says, look at God, look at him. And when you look at him, you know how to look at other people. When we look at God, we know how to look at the world. When we focus on him, we know rightly how to focus on other people. Our hearts change, our empathy changes, our desire to act changes. And this creates a hope in us. And we, we can say, I know God can save them. It creates a peace in us. It creates a passion in us to want good for people, to want them to know the truth, to want them to know this God that would come as a ransom for them. It creates forgiveness in us to say, well, he, he did this for me. I want him to do it for them. 
So I'm willing to release the, 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 the hurt that they've done to me because he did that for me. It changes us. We begin to pray and bring people into our circle of care. And finally, here's what Paul says. What does this kind of praying lead to? If we want to have a strong, integrated faith in the midst of it being difficult to be a Christian, first, we engage with God. We bring him into all the different relationships that make it hard. Second, we look at God because that helps us to know how to pray. It creates in us a different kind of heart. And third, what does it actually lead to? Because sometimes people say this, and maybe you've said this, and this is wrong. Sometimes we say this, like, hey, all I can do is pray. All we can do is pray. That's not what Paul says. See, Paul doesn't just say, God wants to save people. It's hard. Faith is a fight. It's difficult, but you know what? All you can do is pray. You know what Paul says? He says, I want you to pray, but real prayer leads to real action. Here's what Paul says. He says, for this, all the different stuff that we just talked about, for this, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. Paul says, God doesn't just say, I want to save people. God doesn't just say, I want things to be different. I want to mediate. I want to pay the ransom. I know that it's hard and I want to save people. I'm sitting here waiting. Paul says, no, you know what God does? He actually appoints people to be involved. See, real prayer for people that matches God's heart leads to real action. It's really hard to pray for somebody and say, man, I hope, God, that you would bring good into their life. I hope that you would save them. God, I ask that, that you would help them to, to be media, to, to bring that connection back together. It's really hard to pray like that and go, but I'm not going to do anything. You see, Paul says that God doesn't just desire things. He appoints, which means God gets into the nitty gritty. God gets involved. God doesn't just say, I look at the world and see a bunch of people I want to bring to me. He says, I'm going to send people to them. I'm going to appoint people. Now, Paul's talking about himself as an apostle, but the rest of the Bible all throughout, I mean, it gives this calling to Christians. It gives the same calling that Paul has to Christians to say, we share. You can't pray like this and not care like this and then not live like this. This is what Paul says. Real prayer leads to real action. If we understand who God is and what God wants, then we want to join with him in his work. Paul says that he is a, a herald, an apostle, a teacher. Those are all kind of similar. The idea of a herald is, is somebody that kind of in our, our modern day is like, a, like an announcer. You know, we don't, a herald would either be like at a sports event or something, maybe in a coliseum if you want a picture, something like that, or or someone that you see, if you like Google Herald, you know, it's, it's the guy with the trumpet, the like, hear ye, hear ye kind of thing. It's the person, that, that's why some newspapers today are still called like the Herald, because it's saying they're bringing news of something. They're saying, look what's happened. Look what's true. Look what's going on. This is important. You need to pay attention to this. And Paul says that that's our calling, that that was his calling, that that's our calling. It's to be somebody that says, look at this. It's not enough to just say this is true. It's not enough to just say I'm going to pray. Paul says that we are given the call, that he was given the call. By extension, we are given the call. The church is given the call by Jesus to be heralds, to be those that say God wants you in his family. God cares for you. God wants you to know truth. We're appointed to this. 
to say who God is, to say what he desires, to say what his character and his heart is. So how do we maintain a strong faith in the middle of the difficulty of being a Christian, whether that's social cost or awkward conversations or our own convictions, maintaining? How do we do that? Paul says you bring God into it. You engage with him. Whether it's false teaching that's hard or temptations that are hard or whatever it is, you bring God into it. You pray. You pray for all people. You remember who God is so you know how to pray and become different. And then we actually act on God's behalf to speak for him, to call people to see who he is. God doesn't want you to just ignore the difficulty. He doesn't want you to be crushed by it. He doesn't want you to not care about it. What would happen, though, if we join his heart, his work? What would happen if this, if this was our response to it being difficult? What if this week, right? Tomorrow, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's today. What if this is what began to change in us as people, as a community? When we come to take communion, what we remember is that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed. Why? Everything we talked about. To connect us to God, to mediate, to pay the ransom for our sin, to say, that's how much I love you. That's how much I value you. That's how much I want you. So let me, let me close with this before we take communion. If you're a Christian, who is it that you need to begin praying for like this? Who is it that you need to begin praying for? He says all people, and especially, who is it that maybe is causing your faith some difficulty? And then I, I just want, I know I've already kind of said this, but I just feel an urge to just again repeat, if you're not a Christian, listen to me. God wants to save you. That's his heart to you. It's not to harm you. It's not to ostracize you. It's not, to, it's not for you to prove something to him. He wants to save you and help you know truth and the beauty of life with him. That's what we desire for you too. And we hope that even through, through um, even as we sing songs, the truth of who God is can become even more real to your heart. So we pray with me as we uh, begin to take communion and, and sing in response to our good God. Father, I thank you that you love us. You care for us. He, you see our lives. You know it can be hard. You know that there's things that are difficult for us. You know that even as Paul says, faith is a fight sometimes. You know that, God. I thank you that you give us guidance. You, you lead us through your word to bring you, to connect with you. I thank you, God, that you connected with us, that you entered into the difficulty. You're not absent from it. You got involved in it. I thank you that you gave your life as a ransom. God, you are good. You love us. And we thank you. We pray that you help us to grow, to be a community that is centered on you and grow stronger in integrating our faith into all our lives with all the people. In your name, Jesus, we pray.